0: Welcome to How College Works. I'm Peter Hyland, I'm here with Melody Denny. Today we're gonna to be talking a little bit about what different types of colleges or universities there are and sort of what that means for it's like the job we do because we are at a small liberal arts and that's a very different institution from a research intensive or an R1 institution. And that has really drastic
1: Implications. Yes,
0: thank you. Implications <laughs> for how we have to spend our time,
1: and also how we teach our classes.
0: And, yeah, oh yes, oh yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> running me of that. So, Mel, do you want to break down a little bit? I mean, Maybe we should just... start with
1: a list. A, a
0: list. Okay. So, yeah. so obviously, we work at a small liberal arts. So that's that's a thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: that exists. Mm-hmm. And I've just mentioned Research Intensive or R1, so that's another thing that exists. I have a question. Sure.
1: Are there R2s?
0: (laughs) I actually don't remember where that R1 designation comes from, and I believe that Research Intensive was supposed to replace R1, though a lot of people still use R1. Right. Probably not our listeners, but a lot of (laughs) faculty still use R1. I don't know if there's an R2. I, I assume just keep, there
1: would be. I would too whenever I first heard R1, whenever I was first, you know, becoming aware of these different classifications. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never heard of a school refer to itself as an R2.
0: I don't think you would want to if you were. <laughs> you would probably self-identify it differently. Yeah.
1: Okay, so, so there's small liberal arts, R1, um, or research intensive, uh, regional Sure. Universities and mm-hmm. colleges, which aren't necessarily R1, although I think...
0: Some of them can be. Can so, be, right? So in the, in the University of Wisconsin system, there is the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This is the flagship school of mm-hmm. that system. It's where I did my grad work. Uh, it's an R1. It's a research intensive. There's a, there are a whole bunch of other UW schools. UW-Whitewater, UW-Milwaukee, UW-Stevens Point.
1: But
0: they are not R1s. They are not R1s. And so they would be more regional. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in the way that system is set up, to to mirror sort of the California system, often, maybe not always, but often students will go in in, at a regional uh, UW system school Mm -hmm. and then make it into UW-Madison at transferring it. Oh, so... And so, I mean, that's not like the way all of it's supposed to necessarily run, but that's for a number of students in... UW that's the way they come into UW.
1: That's probably similar to the way that the Texas A&M system they have a lot of Texas A&M mm-hmm. here, Texas A&M there. Right. But they're probably filtering into the main Texas A&M.
0: It, or certainly students I often students I think might want to do that. Okay. Like they may there are schools that have Really good re- reputations that are regional schools. So UW La Crosse, shout out. They have a fantastic physics department that does laser physics, which is not a common thing. And so they have really made kind of a name for themselves for that. Yeah. And they uh, and and they bring students in, and get them really nice jobs positions afterwards. Uh, So that's, so if you, like, you can go to UW-Madison, obviously you will get... not
1: for laser physics.
0: Less for laser physics as an undergrad. Gotcha. As a graduate student, they have atomic molecular optics, and they use lasers. But Yeah, okay. Jargon, (laughs) jargon, jargon.
1: (laughs) Okay, so in addition to regional schools, I mean, I actually went to a junior college, or what I guess people would probably call a community college, Mm -hmm which is a two-year school where you earn an associate's degree, but they didn't offer, well, they had a nursing program, but whatever. They didn't offer bachelor's programs, and so I had to transfer them to a regional school. Mm-hmm. That's what I ended up doing. So other than the small liberal arts, regional, research one, and like a junior or community college, are there, is there another one? There's, I know there's the Carnegie classification, yeah. but there's like, you know, 25 of those different classifications.
0: Right. I don't and have time for that. Yeah. Ain't no one got time for that. I, I, broadly, I think that mostly does it. I mean, you okay. have your, your your elite schools, but elite schools almost always classify into research intensive. Right. Your Harvard, even though you'll think of it as so, is. Mm-hmm. you know Stanford definitely is. MIT yeah. is. Mm-hmm. you know If you're Canadian, hey, Canadians, McGill is. You know, okay. it's it is a research intensive sort of school.
1: So this is actually the first my first experience, uh, small liberal arts. I did not attend a small liberal arts. Neither did I. <laughs> and uh, I had to do some research to kind of figure out, like, well, what's the difference here? Because obviously, I wanted to show that I was a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to figure that out. Did you have to do? Or, but you did you say you you didn't graduate from? Australia? I did
0: not. I went. I went to. A, I guess would say maybe a medium-sized, sort of more of an engineering mm. school. That's sort of where they, where they made their name. But I, I talked. I'd always had it in my mind to to go be a faculty at a small liberal arts, and so. It had Why.
1: A, That was not even
0: on my radar. Well, I mean, for me, because in high school I realized I wanted to teach, but I did not want to teach high school. I had decided Mm -hmm. as a high schooler that it was a pretty raw deal to (laughs) to teach me and my peers at that age and have to care that we didn't care. At least that's the way that I saw it at the time. Hopefully everything is super fantastic where you (laughs) are. But uh, I was like, well, but if I teach college, I don't have, Worry about that and sort of like I had like Dead Poet Society in my head as what a professor is, and that really makes it seem like in my head, it's this idea is like oh, so you're a professor? What that means is, you wear a tweed jacket (laughs) with leather elbow patches. You live in a (laughs) renovated Victorian, like just off just off campus, like it looks like New England, and you just wake up in the morning, you know, put on your tweed jacket. Walk into your lecture, your tiered lecture hall, and just sort of off the cuff talk about brilliant physics in my case. And then when you're done, maybe you chill out with some students. You know, have a what would be like a salon back in oh, no, you know no. in France. And then like you go to bed and do it again the next day. Like that. By the way, that is nothing like what a professorship is. You, you should know.
1: definitely
0: get a tweed jacket, though. I mean, I I'd look sharp in a tweed jacket. Oh, yeah,
1: totally. So. All right, so how would you describe a small liberal arts, and how is that different than, say, a research institute?
0: Uh, so a small liberal arts is, as a faculty and administration, is focused on well-rounded. So ideally we want to turn out, turn out produce, help students. Yes, there we go. Help students become <laughs> like, almost like renaissance individuals. So that they, they have a grounding in math and science and uh, social sciences and humanities and the fine arts. And so anything our students who graduate here turn their hands to, or their minds or their attention to, they will have some basis for understanding it. Not necessarily excelling at it, right? But they will have some awareness of it, and that the overall Mission of the college or university that is a liberal arts is at heart to turn out a balanced, well-rounded adult human being. And that balance comes from exploring all of these fields and doing it sort of reasonably. And a research institution has has a very different focus. So when you think of a college professor, you're almost always thinking of a research professor certainly in the sciences yeah. and so if you're like if you see a physicist if you see a <laughs> if you see a physicist in a movie who is a professor they are 99 mm-hmm. times out of 100 they are a professor at a research
1: and they're in a lab
0: and they're in a lab and their main focus of their career is to understand the world at a deeper level and to do foundational or really cool physics research and publish that. Because the publishing is what lets them keep their job, right? But their focus is not on the development of the individual student. Their focus is on the I mean, for one that's sort of selfish, the development of their own prestige. And that that
1: and research. And research. Right.
0: right? Research is the way that you would do that. And so those big research institutions, they mm-hmm. run off of that research money. So if I was a professor there and I brought in a million-dollar grant, you know... That my, would
1: never happen in English, by the way. Yeah, Yes,
0: that would be <laughs> difficult. <laughs> but if I brought in a million-dollar grant, I, 10% of that or something along those lines would, would get taken as it's called overhead by the university. And the university just takes that money in. And they use it to, to pay for all the things the university does. And so at say UW-Madison or uh, Oklahoma State, <laughs> that do a lot of research. They're bringing in hundreds of millions, billions of dollars worth of research money, and that's turning into you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of funds straight to the university to spend sort of basically as they wish.
1: So, from that conversation, I have two questions, two follow-up questions, I guess. So, what about a core curriculum at those research-one institutes where all first- and second-year students have to take, like, a math class or a lab class mm-hmm. with science or whatever? Isn't that essentially the same as a liberal arts education? I'm, I
0: think it, my impression, and I'm not an expert, is that in the United States, almost all of our institutions are built off of a liberal arts focus. And I'm contrasting that with my underst- awareness I should, of the way European education works, which has, at a couple of different points, uh, exams, which yeah. I, not, I don't think a 100%, but for the most part, determine what track you're going to go into. Whether you're going to go into sort of what we would refer to as a blue-collar or a white-collar or uh, jobs, or whether you're going to go into art or science you know you have even if you score awesome across the board you have to pick and -hmm. then you get funneled in and then you all the other stuff kind of falls away and that you become more and more focused so one thing is that result of this is my impression from when I was a graduate student is that European students coming into grad school having done high school they have closer to the equivalent of a master's for an American student. They have done more within their field.
1: But in that one field. But only in that one so field. So it's rather it's depth rather than breadth.
0: Yes. Yes. It's more depth and less breadth. And okay. whereas I think you, American institutions tend to keep that focus wider mm-hmm. for basically all the way through your bachelor's degree. At which point then it really yeah. narrows, right? Once you go right. to graduate school, it's just just that.
1: What so you know? if the curriculum across the, the country is similar then what is the benefit of a liberal arts education?
0: I mean certainly I, in my understanding is, comes from the focus of the institutions. It's not that any institution does not care about its students right? but from a financial perspective there is much less of that school's funds which are coming from tuition mm-hmm. um, and it's also just sort of the focus of the faculty. So here at a small liberal arts, we're very student-focused. And everybody wants to be student-focused. It's a big buzzword at the thing. And I I think it's good, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't be at a small liberal arts. But the reality of the number of students within a class and the economics of and finances of running big institutions means that there isn't, maybe not there can't be, but there isn't as strong a focus on attention to the student.
1: So if research ones are getting a lot of this grant money and it's, you know, helping the school do its thing, I'm guessing it sounds like because if we're small liberal arts, I certainly don't have a whole lot of time for all my publishing and grant writing. Yeah, right. Um, So I'm not bringing in that cash and I'm not sure anyone else is really focused on that. And if they happen to bring in a grant, we're like, woo. Um, So where does the money then come from? If not from that, like so, what's I guess keeping the wheels turning of a small liberal arts?
0: So I mean, tuition makes up a larger portion of it, but there's still a large portion of the the income of of a college or a small liberal arts college, which comes from its endowment. Okay. And so when people make bequests to university, this is sort of interesting in that when someone in the says in their will they're going to put bequeath money to the college or the university. The uh, institutional advancement, that's the group, that's the department that handles this sort of things, gifts to the college and the stuff like that, they, they refer, this, refer to this as when the uh, gift reaches maturity. So the gift reaches maturity when that person dies and yeah. the will goes into effect.
1: Because <laughs> we can't just say...
0: Because we still nice. like, we can't, we can't, it, like, death money sounds a little <laughs> insensitive, right? Yeah. So when, when those gifts reach maturity, they get transferred into the, into the college's uh, endowment. And for the most part, the endowment is not meant to be spent itself, you're meant to spend
1: the interest, the interest right.
0: off that endowment. And if money's coming in and your expenses are relatively low, then any interest that's not spent gets folded back into the endowment for the next time around. In, say, I don't know, 2009, when everything's kind of fallen apart a little bit financially, and in college endowments are...
1: Connected to the stock market. Connected
0: to the stock market. I mean, they're, they are, I mean, I'm sure they're different, but at heart, they're like my retirement. Right, <laughs> right, And so when the stock market crashes and the endowment's value goes down and few people are delaying going to college, you start to actually spend down your endowment. You have more expenses than tuition and that interest can cover, and you start spending down the endowment.
1: Which is not where you want to be. But no.
0: It, it no, happens. It's...
1: So all of that information taken together, what that tells me is as a faculty member at a small liberal arts is that... I don't have to focus on research because I'm not supposed to be bringing in the books. There's, that pressure is off of me. Although research could be something I could pursue if I wanted. But what that also shows me, too, is that students are going to be a larger focus because, well, their tuition. <laughs> not to make right. it a money game, right. but in well, some and, ways. And, and one thing
0: I think to stay away from is this idea of, I mean, People say consumer culture, they often mean something else, but in in this aspect, it is the idea that a student has spent money and therefore is going to demand services from their professors. And as Millie says, good luck with that. Part of what she means by that is that the culture at a college or university is is different than it was in high school. Mm -hmm. And that the way that the faculty and the administration view this financial transaction is not a purchase of an item and you don't spend your money for your for your uh credit hours and get a passing grade that is or certainly not an a what you are what you are spending your money on is access to your professors and so from that perspective it does not matter to me how much my students have paid or if they paid at all, they're, they're enrolled in my class, my job is to help them to understand them, understand the material. It's their job to work at doing that. and It's my job to support them and provide them with the support that, that I can for them to succeed, but they have to do the work. And part of the reason for this sort of philosophy is that within the faculty, a faculty member who has been hired and has atta- attained tenure is, has been formally recognized by the faculty, by their peers, as an expert in their field and an asset to the college or university. And one of the things that you did not hear me say in there was student. (laughs)
1: Like the student doesn't get to decide.
0: In many small liberal arts, students, uh, student letters... And certainly student evaluations are taken into account and can, and can play in some cases. But
1: they're not the end-all, be-all. Yeah,
0: they yeah, they're not the end-all, be-all.
1: Okay, so while students are important, and maybe, I don't want to diss research institutes, but maybe more important at a small liberal arts college, that doesn't mean they rule.
0: No, they're not in charge. <laughs> they're not in charge. I think a better sort of idea to have in your head when thinking about students and professors, is more of an apprenticeship model. So I have not apprenticed myself to anybody. (laughs) I mean, at some level, you could say that I did when I went to graduate school. I apprenticed myself to my advisor, uh, and I learned how to do physics at a high level from him. And so similar is going on for undergraduates who come in to a college or university, is that you're learning that subject from a master, somebody who has been recognized. Uh, so, basically, the ten, if someone has tenure, that is equivalent. I think, I think, to being a master craftsman in your craft. It is the highest level of professional recognition that you can have. Okay. In that sense. Since I, I'm not a carpenter, I can't tell you. I have no idea what goes into being a I'm master not sure. carpenter. I, I
1: understand. But, I mean, this is a good whatever analogy, yeah. so but it, okay. It's an okay analogy. Okay.
0: But it, you know, but it also means that you know. It, so
1: you have to take the opportunity yeah. to learn. And so what I tell my students is, you're paying for the opportunity to learn, and it's your choice whether to claim that education or claim that opportunity.
0: Right. You can run with it and do, all, do a whole bunch of work and dive into the material uh, of your own volition, or not, because I'm not going to drag you kicking and screaming through the material. I mean, I'm going to go through the material. You can come along with me, and if you have trouble, you can ask me for help, and I will help you, or you cannot, and... <gasps>
1: It seems impossible for us to stay on track because all of these things are so interconnected. <laughs> but if we go back to small liberal arts and mm-hmm. research one, um, and the difference is we kind of map that out. And then what about like a regional university? Like what's the big difference there?
0: I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure because I have not worked at one, but I, I believe that usually the pressures of how much research you need to do is less not that it's not there or not that it's not big mm-hmm. but a professor who has attained tenure at a big big state school or an elite university they are at the top of their craft right and that's not required to attain tenure at a regional university
1: that's my not that they
0: aren't fantastic or doing good right. research or doing good teaching
1: well, that's been my experience with the regional university is that, yeah, those expectations are there, but the pressure is not as much. Right. But it's also like, well, you need to teach well and do research. So in some ways, they're caught in the middle. Yeah.
0: at, at, at uh, my, my, my own personal view of, like, the worst job for me would be a small liberal arts that is trying to change its reputation mm. and, you know, build in more research because then you have the pressure to be – producing research, and the pressure of doing quality teaching, and you're still going to have to do that service aspect, sitting on committees and doing work that keeps the college running. Um,
1: so there's nothing,
0: there's, nothing there's, no, there's no, like, respite.
1: Right. So then my experience with, like, a junior college or community college, which aren't always the same, because I think some community colleges, you can get a four-year degree, right? I, th- I think so. I think but again, so. But
0: again, I haven't taught and I haven't looked into it.
1: I think so. I know
0: some people we could ask.
1: Okay. Well, maybe more on that. But So a lot of what I understand is that the junior college or community colleges are stepping stones for students often to a regional or larger university. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't have like those, that extra science class in high school, they might want to take a science class at a junior right. college before they transfer someplace else. Yeah.
0: Um, and I think one of the reasons that ends up being the case is that if you're going to go to a big research institution, those professors are, they have to be focused on their research. That's, and they want to be focused on their research. You got to love what you're doing to be doing it at that level, and they have to be doing it at a really high level to attain tenure. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like they're going to get there and be like, okay, great, I'm done doing research now, because there's no way you could have kept that up for five to seven years, depending on the institution if you didn't love what, what it was. But that also means that they're not spending their time thinking about and being reflective on their teaching. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to end up with, with instructors often, not always, at those big research institutions which are going to be less informed about best practices, more comfortable with the way things were done when, when they learned. Mm-hmm. And so that often because leads to all... the
1: research is about teaching.
0: And there, That is a thing which is happening more and more. Yeah. In physics, anyway. There's physics education it's research. It's definitely
1: a trend in composition studies. Yeah.
0: Um, but it's certainly mm-hmm. not the bulk.
1: Oh, no. Whenever you think of research institute and you think of research professors, you are I think of math and sciences yeah. like almost exclusively. And when I think of humanities people doing research, I usually think, oh, well, they're writing a novel or some sort of literary critique.
0: Something which brings in the the same type of prestige that research publications do Mm -hmm. uh, for the sciences. And so the reason you probably want to take that science class at, at the community college or regional level before you transfer up is... They're probably going to run it really fast, and there may not make a whole lot of sense because they're not thinking about, the t- they don't have the right. time to spend thinking about what is the best way to deliver this information for my students to understand it. They, they have to spend their time thinking about, you know, how do I solve this highly technical problem with my research? How do I analyze this data to get the, to get the information out of it?
1: Well, and they kind of go to class, deliver the information, and then leave.
0: Which I have, My advisor is a fantastic guy just one of the nicest guys, really cares about teaching, but had to cap himself at only the hour before class will he prep. Because if he didn't, he spent too much time on it, and he was not fulfilling enough service, you know, committee work and, uh, and research.
1: I would say that's a very similar experience to mine because I, you know, got my degree in a research one, and my advisor also, I mean, oh my like, God why don't you do more prepping for your classes? Because I always felt like that she was like last minute putting things together. And she was, but you know, now that I've had some perspective and I've been able to step back from that situation, I realized that she was just, I mean, that was all the time that she could give Mm -hmm.
0: because she had
1: so many other things that she needed to do.
0: Other demands and demands, which are uh, paramount, I mean, but paramount for her job.
1: Yeah. And she was, she went through the 10 year review process while I was there and oh, but that was stressful. Oh, it was a it was, it made me realize that I probably don't want to end up at that kind of institution. Yeah. Um, seeing the amount of pressure and stress, and trying to figure out like, because she did writing center studies, and mm. that's a hard sell in some cases. And it's kind of a service based thing. But does service count as research if you're doing service based research? Blah blah blah, but. So yeah, so for me, uh, I see a a big difference in terms of how I spend my time Mm -hmm. um, in a small liberal arts versus like a research one.
0: Yeah, absolutely, is a huge Uh, difference.
1: Yeah, I just, I do spend hours prepping for classes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, my students are, are like surprised that
1: you cut it all together? <laughs> well, no.
0: That's how much time it takes.
1: Oh, it takes hours. Yeah. Hours. And for, then, a, for
0: a single class.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, for a single class, period. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and no, not, like, yeah, not no, not, okay. not just it's, five hours to prep my semester worth of physical. Yeah, no, no, I mean, it three hours. hours
1: for that one minute period. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are times when I put in lots of time. Yeah. Lots and lots of time. And then
0: there are other
1: days where I can kind of skim or whatever. But I say that research is the last on my agenda...
0: Yeah, I mean, here I think research is certainly, of, of the three things, you know, research, teaching, and service, that teaching is by, by far the most important for us. It's over 50%. Not that, not that it's spelled out, but yeah. if I was to try to uh, assign, 100%. like, a pie chart, more than half that pie is going to be teaching. Mm. And then, then it comes service, and then, then for... If
1: we're doing the pie chart... If fifty percent is teaching, what is? How do you divide up service and
0: research? Well, I, I I would say it's more like two thirds teaching, mm. and then maybe uh, not gonna do my fractions. <laughs> maybe a quarter service is is required, and the the leftover I can't do but the I, fractions I don't know fast enough is. in my head <laughs> to, uh, would be would be research. So there's like professional a gotcha. it's, it's more of a sliver. Whereas I think at a at, a, at an R1,
1: it's almost 50% research. It's like
0: percent 75% research, yeah. and then it's pretty darn close to a quarter service, and like that super thin one left is teaching. So,
1: the few hours that I dedicate a week to try to read a couple of journal articles or check out a book is probably all that that person can put into their teaching. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And at and really elite, competitive uh, institutions, the places where if you tell someone, oh, I'm going to blank, they're like, oh, like, you're Harvard, you're Stanford, you're MIT. You can't. You can't spend that much time teaching. In, in fact, you know people will get, um, I, have a f- I know somebody who has a friend, say, oh, like, this is the urban legend, but I think this is pretty legit, uh, was at Harvard. And their advisor's like, why did, why? they won a teaching award. And their advisor's like, you need to stop that. <laughs> If you're winning yeah. teaching awards, you're spending too much time on teaching and you're not spending enough time on your research and well, you're not going to make tenure.
1: That's really interesting um, because when I first went back to uh, work on my doctorate, I went back because I wanted to be a better teacher. But you don't say that out loud at a research institute. No. In fact, I did and someone's like, you need to stop saying that.
0: the DL. Yeah. They're like, I mean, even
1: if that's why you're here, that's not why you're here. You're here to, to research and to publish. And I'm like,
0: I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on your advisor, basically. Like, so I was pretty upfront with my advisor and my supervisor when I was a, a postdoc. Meaning, I have my Ph.D., but I don't have a faculty position. I work for a faculty member. That this is sort of where I want to end up going, and they supported me in that. But yeah, it's it's certainly a thing. Is like, if you if you're a graduate student and you're in a program where you're going to get a Ph.D. and it is ostensibly. Like a research or something like you need to be kind of cognizant about who you're talking to, and you got to feel them out if they're going to be okay. If you're like, yeah, I want to, I want to teach at a smaller arts. I don't want to actually. Yeah, they might. I don't wanna want to waste job. their
1: time with you. Yeah,
0: I mean, it can, yeah, it can, it can end up like that sometimes because faculty members are are people as much as I would like them to be ideals of compassion and 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 like that. But some people think that that's the most important thing, and if you're not there to do that, they don't think you should be there. I don't. I think that's wrong, <laughs> but... I think you know, it's
1: pretty clear where we stand. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So, I mean, that being said, I don't want to say that Research One Institutes aren't great places to be. No. They're just I, not the, the greatest place for me to be.
0: Right. I mean, and one of the things to keep, I think, to keep in mind is that, you know, while we're talking about, like, the level of... Basic attention that we give our students. That doesn't mean that at an R one students can't get a lot of attention from their instructors, be that a professor or a graduate student TA. And it also uh, something to keep in mind is that only at the most elite of small liberal arts, when you approach the amount of resources available to the students there at a big research institution, like there's a lot of money coming into a research institution. There's a lot of of availability for different degrees or programs, Mm -hmm. you know, so there is, there is a lot to be had at an R1, you know, and if you are, you know, willing to go and talk to professors and engage with professors as an undergraduate, which can be super intimidating, but if you're willing to, to get yourself inserted into what they're doing, they're, is work happening at those institutions which is happening nowhere else, you know, and it can be a incredibly valuable experience working with faculty there. So it's not that not that everyone needs to go to a small liberal arts, yeah. but if it it's what I want out of my work life balance, there I mean there's even with the difference in focus, there's also just less required it means that I can have a family and not feel like I, I am Ignoring my family to do research, or ignoring the research to spend time with my family, like I—it's not a zero-sum game, mm-hmm. you know, for me in this environment. Which is my personal, which again is me personally. M- my feelings about doing that much research.
1: So that kind of made me think of like you were talking about the research and the prestige and those kinds of things, and. I don't know, I feel like I work with some really great people who probably could totally hack a research one position and probably kill it if they really wanted to. Right. Um, So it's not really about, like, skill or ability or drive. It's just a life choice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, one of the things which I might flatter myself incorrectly, but, like, if I cared (laughs) that much about it, like, I find it interesting. I, I think if I maintained it and spent the hours on it i i I could have the chops to do it i just don't want to do it
1: that's kind of how i feel like i feel like i could totally do that if i was willing to give up a lot of other things i mean one
0: of the differences though is that i think and maybe this is completely wrong but in physics the fact that i work at a small liberal arts too many physicists at r1s means i've failed yeah and I, I don't know if the stigma is quite as strong for humanities.
1: I, I imagine it's still there. It's still there. And it probably isn't as much because of the whole research mm-hmm. thing we were talking about in terms of like the stereotypical researchers, the scientists, oh. blah, blah, blah. But um, I still feel like people... And I don't really... I mean, usually if you graduate from an R1, you don't work at an R1 unless you're exceptional. Like, it's very rare... Yeah, are you, only, are you saying I'm yes? saying yes, okay. absolutely.
0: Yeah, there there are like a small number of institutions that produce something like 80% of the PhDs in the yeah. US and it's far more PhDs than <laughs> you can actually get into those institutions.
1: Right. So what I'm saying is the people that I graduated with, like my cohort and my colleagues or whatever, they're not getting R1 jobs. So it's not like they could be too snooty about it, but they are also, if they're landing those regional universities, some of them see that as a, a tier above small liberal arts. Right,
0: And I think a lot of that mostly has to do with what you value in, in your job. That I don't particularly value prestige for me in my job. And so I'm not motivated to go make a bunch of publications mm-hmm. to, to show everybody how awesome I am. What I really want to do is, is to teach at the college level and to be a part of that sort of really kind of awesome time where students are leaving high school and I'm sorry, high school seniors, you're, you're, you're not really adults yet. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but like there's this period of like four years where I don't know if it was a few, but like I figured figured myself out in a way that I had never done before and it's it's there's a lot going on not just in terms of learning things but in terms of like figuring out who it is that you really are Mm -hmm. since there's a lot of sort of uh, kind of static pressure in high school to be the person that everyone sees you as it's really hard to break out of that and so I think almost everybody just in high school, you are who you were, kind of in middle school, but writ a little larger, and then you don't feel comfortable in your own skin at some level because that's not who you feel you really are, but that's who you're kind of forced to be, and when you go to college, you get this,
1: you get this opportunity to kind of remake no, yourself. Yeah,
0: you get to you get to be a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> you <know>? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so
1: what you're saying is essentially you're part of that.
0: I'm, transformation yeah like <laughs> one of the things that I, I like about being a faculty member at a small liberal arts is that I am a mentor to many more students than I otherwise would be at this period where a, a kind word and some support is much more valuable than later on I could be a mentor to graduate students at an R1 yes. and some a kind word and support there is really important
1: oh yes they're very fragile as graduate students
0: (laughs) but it's it's less important than when you are trying to figure it out Mm. like all of it (laughs) like where where are you going than it is when you when you've made the decision i am going here and then it's much more of a case of can i do it was this a good decision as opposed to like come on, look at this big picture. There's a whole lot going on here which you weren't aware of. Uh, and that, <clears throat> that sort of aspect is really appealing. I find it very rewarding, you know, the once a year or two when I have a student who really needs some help and I can actually help them in a super meaningful way and see them sort of go on and, and sort of pick themselves up and carry on and, and do well. That's, that's worth it to me in a way that... Mentoring graduate students isn't, yeah, and prestige, like I just don't care. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I think we ended up just talking more about how awesome small liberal arts <laughs> colleges are. But uh, we're also choosing to be here for a reason, so I guess it's natural that it comes down to that. But
0: Yeah, I mean, a, a reminder, like I said before, like don't discount any of the other types of institutions that we talked about. We're here because we love what this offers us. hmm and and what we value in the education that we provide, but obviously there's a ton of people at a big. Well, R1. we both went
1: to R ones and.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We survived with or without individual attention or. Yeah.
0: So, but it's you know it's finding the match for what you want to do. There are students who are like, they don't want to go to a small liberal arts. Certainly, you're much more likely to find super strong science degree programs at. Not liberal arts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That is, I mean, not that, you, not that there's anything inherent in a, liber, in a small liberal arts that would mm-hmm. exclude exclude that, politics. but it's just not the way it works out.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I think you've answered all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, I think that helps sort of at least differentiate the R one and the small liberal arts, which mm-hmm. are, I mean, to me, is a really important distinction.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we only talked sort of briefly about the philosophy of a small little arts. At least it felt like we spoke briefly.
1: I don't know. I think a lot of the things we talked about
0: sort of fed of, into yeah. yeah. I think they're implicit but not explicit.
1: Yes maybe yeah. that's another
0: conversation. <laughs> so anything else?
1: I think that I don't know what else to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that you w know, I it's a lovely conversation. Thank you for oh, talking yeah, with Always <laughs> if you have anything that you would like us to talk about on how college works you can find me on twitter at dr highland d-o-c-t-o-r-h-y-l-a-n-d uh we love to hear from you uh and add it to the, li- the long long list of things that we would like to talk about in helping you understand how this strange beast <laughs> that is college works
1: what are we doing <laughs>
0: uh, until next time this is peter highland
1: This is Melody Denny.
0: We'll see you later.
1: Bye.